the greys are not aliens. They're mutated humans from a parallel version of Earth that destroyed their version of Earth to the point where they had to go underground. They mutated. Uh, their eyes got bigger to see in the dark and all this kind of stuff. But they had to mutate to survive. They tried cloning themselves to save their civilization, and that didn't work. Over generations, things started failing. They knew that they were basically in the process of dying out. So what they knew they needed to basically perpetuate their civilization was viable human DNA, which didn't exist anymore in their reality. But they used their advanced technology to tunnel into parallel realities, to shift into parallel worlds like ours, parallel versions of Earth that exist simultaneously with theirs, where viable human DNA was still existing. And to use that DNA through the abduction experiences to create hybrid beings from their DNA and our DNA so that their civilization would continue, would survive. So the hybrid civilizations, like Bashar's people, are actually the result of those abduction experiences and the perpetuation of their culture. But sort of as a payback for the use of that DNA, the hybrids, now like Bashar, are sharing information with us in our reality so that we might not necessarily have to go down the same destructive path that the greys went down <clears throat> as humans on their version of earth because they recognize that we're doing many of the same things that led to the destruction of that parallel version Indeed. of earth right now on higher journeys with alexis brooks daryl anka what can i say Welcome back again and again and again and again. I think it's been five times. This will make the fifth time you have graced us with your presence. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and providing an opportunity to share information. To continue to share information. I, I always ask myself and ask you, do you ever get tired of doing this? Do you ever feel like... No. 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 It's, this information is my passion. At least one expression of it. And so, no. Well, I think that would be a great springboard. By the way, Journeyers, we are going to be talking about one of Daryl. This is a Daryl production, First Contact, channeling Bashar, a film, a brilliant film, by the way, done back in 2016, Daryl. We're going to get into that. But um, I, I, I think what, what's warranted is to bounce all around because Bashar has so many messages, evergreen messages, new things coming out, and you just prompted one, and it has to do with passion. If there was one mantra that Bashar has been consistent with, with since the beginning. It has to do with following our passion. Yes. That could seem a little, to some, a little airy-fairy. Well, what do you mean passion? And what if I can't find my passion? And what if I'm in crisis right. and it's more difficult for me to beeline toward that passion? What does Bashar have to say about people maybe struggling to find their passion? Well, that's what I like about Bashar's messages is that they're very, no pun intended, down to earth in the sense that he understands that we're physical and we need a practical application of these concepts that have sort of, as you say, sort of been left nebulous in the New Age movement and haven't been really well explained as to why that's important. Why does it work in your life to follow your passion? <clears throat> and so he comes across with a very pragmatic toolkit and explaining why that's important, how it works, what it taps into. The main thing to, I guess, understand first and foremost about it is 
we all as physical beings still have a non-physical higher mind. And that's the part of us in spirit <clears throat> that remains there. And so the idea is that our higher mind is constantly guiding us, communicating with us. But because it's non-physical, it communicates in energy. Its messages come in a form of energy. But our physical bodies translate that energy, those messages, as the sensation we call passion, excitement, creativity, love. So when we're willing to act on things and situations, opportunities that contain more excitement than any other, we are actually following the guidance of our higher mind that's saying, this is you. This is the next step on your path. That's why it's coming to you this way. This is the move to take. This is the action to take right now. And when we do that, when we're willing to follow that guidance, <clears throat> then we're creating a dialogue with the higher mind and we're responding to it. We're saying, yes, I hear you. I hear you saying this is my next step because it comes with this kind of vibration. <clears throat> And if we're willing to, to act on it, then we set up a dialogue with the higher mind. So the higher mind can say, okay, you heard me. I'm going to send you more opportunities to act on your passion because there's no point in it sending us more opportunities to act on our passion, to follow our path, if we're not even willing to act on what it's already sent us. So it'll wait until we have taken some action in that direction. Then it will keep that going through synchronicity. <clears throat> Now, again, the idea is that this is really what we're all about. And the idea of having difficulty figuring out what our passion is, is just because most people think that when we say act on your passion, that means you have to be jumping up and down and running around with your hair on fire. <laughs> it's really very basic. It's the idea of at any given moment <clears throat> on every given day, you have a number of options available to you to take action on. And they can be very everyday simple things. You can take a, a walk, you can uh, have lunch, you can talk to a friend, you can watch a movie. The thing is to look at all the options available to you and just pick the one that has slightly, even slightly more attractiveness or excitement or curiosity attached to it and act on that first. That's always the step to take. Do what you can to act on that first. Now, that doesn't always mean that that thing has to come to fruition. It just means you need to take some action to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And then it will kind of snowball and bring you more and more opportunities to act on your passion in perhaps more expanded and bigger ways. But the idea is that it's not that difficult to act on your passion if you simply reduce it to the simple things in life, at least at first, and act on them to the best you can. Now, if more than one thing seems to be equally exciting, that you have equal ability to act on, then it doesn't really matter which one you do first. You might as well flip a coin. And sometimes mm -hmm. flipping a coin between two things will tell you what you're really more excited about. Because you could say, all right, well, heads, I'll, I'll do A and tails, I'll do B. And you flip the coin and it's tails and you go, oh, darn, I wish it was A. Oh, <laughs> I wish it was A. So that tells you that's more exciting for you. That's more attractive to you. And you can go in that path. But again, it doesn't really matter because because of the principle of synchronicity as the organizing principle in your life and the guiding principle and everything being connected in that way, if you act on something that isn't necessarily uh, out of those two things or three things, how many ever excite you, if you act on one that isn't necessarily the best path for you to take right now, synchronicity will create circumstances to turn you around to the path 
that is because it will block you from being able to take action on the things that aren't necessarily the correct things to take action on at this moment because there are two types of positive synchronicity what we sort of refer to euphemistically as green light synchronicity and red light synchronicity so while there is true negative synchronicity that helps you spiral downward if you're constantly basing your actions on fear and and negative belief systems there are also a positive and a negative positive synchronicity so to speak so we call it green light red light and that is the green light synchronicity are the opportunities you are able to act on and red light synchronicity is still representative of your passion but it's telling you this may not be the step to take right now right now and so it stops you from being able to act on it so instead of beating your head against the wall and saying why can't i do this why can't i do this why can't i do this it's about synchronicity saying you need to do something else first to get the information and experience you need so you can come back around and do this later because again it's the organizing principle it literally organizes the time frame and the order in which you need to act on your passion so if you can't act on something you're excited about find out what you can take action on on something that you're excited about even if it's not quite the same thing or seems to be disconnected, <clears throat> it's the excitement that tells you it is connected. And if you act on the one you can act on, it will probably give you the experience and the information, the knowledge, the education you need to be able to act on other things that excite you in a more experienced way. So it all works together as a kind of an automatic toolkit if you just understand the principles that he's talking about and follow them precisely. It's literally like an instruction manual. I was just going to say this is a manual and it can be a little daunting for some, but I I, I heard a few things. <clears throat> Excuse me, Daryl. Uh, first and foremost, going back to passion as being the conduit to getting to the higher self. I think that's very interesting. It's almost as if when you're acting on your passion, whether I would call it the way you're describing it, there are micro passions, going for a walk, gardening, and then macro, which would be the larger sort of framework of a career endeavor, you know, uh, becoming yeah. a healer, something that's very large, and yet they're all connected. But right. all of these, if they are, if you're following the manual properly, can get you more connected into the consciousness of the higher self. Right. Is that the only way we can connect into what we call our higher consciousness? Well, there are all sorts of permission slips, as Bashar calls it. In other words, anything you're attracted to use as a methodology, be it meditation or reading tarot cards or, uh, you know, astrology, all these things to him are what he calls permission slips. And it's still, again, following your passion, because if you're excited to do that, excited to explore any one of those particular disciplines or techniques um, or, you know, rituals, that's still part of following your passion and the idea is that he calls them permission slips because he's saying look your belief system says you're attracted to use this because you believe it will help you tap into what you need to tap into and you're still doing it but because you have a certain belief system within you you can use this tool to seemingly make it easier to do so and that's fine that's absolutely fine so there are many methodologies it's just that they're still all representative of your passion if you're attracted to use it. I was smiling when you were talking about maybe it's tarot cards. Do you know, guys, I just did a little segment, Daryl, on um, my getting a psychic reading and then using uh, oracle cards 
afterward to sort of test the accuracy of what was told to me. And so I was saying to the audience, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I love to shuffle. That's, I would have to say, that's one of my passions. I don't need necessarily need to do it as a, a career, but I right. get such an enjoyment out of that in the right. moment. And I get yeah, urges when I do it. Yeah, all those methodologies are fine as long as it is representative of something you're really attracted to do. In fact, he's saying, the reason you're attracted to it is because it's representative of your vibration. It's what will work for you. If you're not attracted to it, it won't work for you. Absolutely. But any perfect. discipline, any tool, any ritual, any object that you're attracted to use as a help, as a permission slip is absolutely fine. So there are as many methodologies perhaps as there are people. Yeah. Or even just for fun. I was just saying, and I'm, I'm very judicious about shuffling uh, for myself because we can get kind of, we can get caught up and get, get in our own way. I pr actually prefer sure. to shuffle for other people. So it's sure. just the the love of, the, you know, the cards and being able to to shuffle that I enjoy. That sounds like passion to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see where we go with it. Okay. Well, listen, speaking of passion, let's segue because I want to get into this. You will be passionate about First Contact, guys. Trust me if you haven't seen it. By the way, uh, this is on Gaia and we will have a link so you can go watch it for free. How about that? Watch it because you got a lot of messages there. People are becoming increasingly passionate about this whole idea of contact, Daryl. There's a lot going on right now. Yes. And it's is. being represented somehow in the mainstream. There's a lot of buzz about what the motivation might be, but regardless of what it is, it's happening. What is Bashar yeah, saying about all of what's happening right now? Yeah, he's saying it's the very beginning stages of disclosure, the very, very beginning stages of it being okay to recognize that there are definitely different levels to this reality. There are things going on that we have denied for a long time, but it's part of reality. And that now it's becoming a little bit more okay to acknowledge it, to talk about it, to say, yes, these things exist. Uh, <clears throat> I know it's not full disclosure yet, but it's the very beginning stages of it and we can build on that and that's okay. So, you know, whatever timing it requires, whatever pacing people need to get used to this idea is fine, but we are beginning to finally acknowledge that there are things that we don't understand that are part of our reality, a greater reality, and now it's okay to, to discuss that and talk about it and share ideas about what we're experiencing and share our experiences about all that. Well, that's the big thing. And, you know, when it comes to, when I say the mainstream, obviously this is, there's been a, a whole narrative in the news, uh, uh, not the least of which is David Grush coming forward back in June as the whistleblower. First one to, whether it's accurate or not, it doesn't really matter to me. But the uh, inference of non-human intelligence for the right. very first time being introduced into a mainstream dialogue to me was a big uh, glass ceiling breaker. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, unprecedented. Yeah, and I think the more that it's discussed, the more willing certain people will be to come forward with the knowledge that they have kept secret for so long. It's becoming safer for people to talk about what's been going on. Uh, there's so much information behind the scenes. There's so much information. It's kind of like I, I, I sort of jokingly call this the biggest secret that everyone knows. It's like everyone kind of knows this and everyone has all these experiences. They just don't talk about them because they're afraid to, because they're afraid they're going to be ridiculed or thought that they were crazy or something like that. But now <clears throat> it's becoming safer for people to talk about 
this kind of information that they may have known about for a long time or their experiences with contact encounters they've had sightings they've had so on and so forth because there is definitely a reality here that we need to incorporate into our bigger picture of what life is all about no question and i'd say and fast i think there well, may again, be, yeah. it has its own timing and that's okay yeah. it has its own timing well yeah. that brings about a whole other conversation on the nature of time and mm. multiple uh earth's versions and some may be, right. you know, well, parallel realities, parallel realities. We'll get into that a little bit more. I want to quote okay. something from from your film where you say you ask the question, is it possible that Earth is being contacted telepathically by extraterrestrial beings through mm -hmm. channeling? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about telepathy and channeling and the bridge between those and the the ET reality. Sure. I mean, the thing I like about Bashar's explanation is that he really says Telepathy is telepathy. In other words, you're not actually reading another person's mind. You are getting on the same wavelength as them and having the same thoughts at the same time because those are the thoughts that are commensurate with that frequency of energy. So you're really reading your own mind. It's just that you know what someone else is thinking because you're on the same wavelength. And this is why, as Bashar explains it, people who are deeply in love will often know exactly what each other is thinking and finish each other's sentences and have very little verbal communication. They'll know exactly what each other is saying. So the more you are in sync, in love, on the same frequency as someone else, the more telepathic you become, the more you understand what they're thinking because you're thinking the same thing simultaneously. That's what telepathy is. Telepathy. Right. So that makes sense. But then the question becomes, you, you know, let's go to the individuals that are having experiences, having contact encounters. And invariably, Daryl, they will say that the communication that happened was telepathic. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that in the case of between non-human intelligence and us humans, contactees, that we are on the same wavelength as the entity that we're in contact to with? To a degree, yes. In other words, exposure to the vibration of certain ET beings, when we're open to it, when we're willing to do that, whether consciously or unconsciously, shifts our vibration to be more in sync with them. In other words, the only reason the contact happens is because we're at least somewhat in sync with their vibration or the vibration itself of contact, of exchange. And it's the willingness, conscious or unconscious willingness, to be okay with that contact happening that actually allows the telepathic bond to exist. So I'm sure there's a frequency range within that. More precise frequencies may cause more precise telepathic communication. But the idea that the contact happens at all kind of hints at the idea that the person having the contact, the human having the contact, is at least somewhat open again, consciously or unconsciously, to the vibration of the ET they're in contact with. And that can promote the idea of telepathic or telempathic communication. Keyword or unconscious. Mm -hmm. The lecture that, I'm, that I've uh, given and I will be giving along with you in Las Vegas coming up has yeah. to do with unconscious contact. Are you an experiencer and don't know it? 
Daryl, how many people might be walking the face of this planet that are completely oblivious to perhaps lifelong encounters? Does Bashar ever speak to that? Yeah, I mean, again, people will often come to him and talk about, oh, I've had this dream or I've had this weird experience and <clears throat> stuff like that. And he'll recognize that, you know, it's not always the case, but he'll recognize many of the indicators, the symptoms, so to speak, of contact and be able to suss out whether or not what they're experiencing is something psychological or whether they're actually having bleed through memories of mm -hmm. actually having contact. So um, a lot of the conversations people have with him are, you know, have I actually had encounters? And in those discussions, he'll be able to to ferret out what the symptoms are and let them know whether or not these dreams or memories or whatever they are, are representative of contact or representative of something else. Mm -hmm. Let's go to your experience all the way back in 1973. You've told this story many, many times before. You've told it to me before, but it never gets old, Daryl, when you were in that car <clears throat> with some family members. Was it your sister and brother and maybe a couple of other friends? Yes. It was my sister, my brother, the first time, <clears throat> uh, a very close friend and her brother in the car with me when we had the first sighting uh, <clears throat> in broad daylight, very close, about 150 feet away of the triangular UFO, black with a blue-white light on each point and a dull red-orange light underneath in the center. We all witnessed it um, while we were driving and were quite astonished at seeing something like this. Uh, very close up, very silent, moving very strangely, <laughs> very smoothly through the air, uh, hovering for quite a while. We were able to observe it uh, probably for at least a good 30 to 45 seconds before it slid away over the valley. And then a week later, the second encounter with me and one of the friends that was with me the first time, uh, where we're literally sitting at an inter intersection at a red light in West Los Angeles. And this UFO comes gliding over the street. Now, now it's only like maybe 70 feet up. I mean, it's really close. And again, broad daylight in the afternoon. And so, you know, driving after it, trying to follow it, zigzagging through the neighborhood and, and winding up uh, as it stopped straight underneath it and watching it rise into the clouds in the blink of an eye. Uh, these two encounters a week apart started my journey of investigating what's this all about because you know we'd always heard well you know ufos and stuff like that but until you actually see something like that in broad daylight with witnesses and it's a solid object being obviously directed by some intelligence <clears throat> uh it changes your world it turns everything upside down you now know that these things are real are part of your reality and you just want to really find out more about it. And that's what started me investigating and reading every book I could find on different encounters and eventually coming across other metaphysical material like the Seth books and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, that really got me going. That was what really started my journey uh, of remembering that I made an agreement to do this in this life with Bashar. Uh, to assist in the evolution of humanity and the evolution of contact between uh, Earth humans and other species. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you ignited a passion on the spot. And therefore, that had, I'm sure, had a lot to do with your connecting with the higher self, bringing in Bashar. It's all connected. Oh, absolutely. 
here's a question I have. There's two, and I know I've asked one before, so uh, apologies if, if you recall that I asked. But have you ever thought about the idea, Daryl, that one or maybe both of those sightings were more than just sightings, that it could have been a contact encounter implicit in the sighting? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what came back to me when I went into this channeling class, which was a series of meditations 10 years after the sighting. I didn't think I was going to become a channel, but I was just uh, wanting to see how channeling could be taught to people. And it was during the meditations in those classes that I received the telepathic or teleempathic contact with Bashar. And I understood immediately in that split second that I had made an agreement to do this with him in, in this life. And I understood that the UFOs were his ship and that he was showing that to me to get me to start learning about these kinds of things. So, no, that was an absolutely deliberate uh, ignition <laughs> of starting me off to learn what I needed to learn so that by the time it came time to start the channeling, I would be better prepared. So, no, that was an absolutely deliberate act on his part. Okay. But you had other people in the car that witnessed it with you, and well, yet sure. they're not channeling Bashar? No, no, because it was primarily for me in that context. But again, it gave me the validation that I wasn't just making this up or hallucinating it because everyone in the car saw this and could back me up and describe it exactly as I saw it. So that just gave me the solidity of the assurance that I had a real experience that other people could witness simultaneously, that it was a real thing in our reality. Do you recall other, this is the question I think I've asked before, but you were in Los Angeles. There's other people there. Anybody else see this craft? Many, many years later, I, I came across uh, a UFO witness account that described the same event. But when we were having the experience, I was looking around at the other cars and I didn't see anyone else looking up at it. So I'm really not sure how many other people may or may not have witnessed it. I do know that sometimes <clears throat> because of the frequency of the experience that sometimes certain people who are within a certain vibrational frequency can see them and people right next to them cannot so it may have been a very selective frequency for me and those in my immediate proximity but i do know many years later that someone else did see it because they they mentioned it uh in the same kind of description in the same year so uh other people obviously did witness it but i didn't know that like i said till many years later interesting yeah because of the way you describe it, it was in, it's so close and such clo close proximity to your to your vehicle and other vehicles around it. It's just. Yeah, well, and even more mysteriously in the second encounter, which was very much closer and we were zigzagging around this neighborhood trying to follow it because it was a little hard to see because of all the trees. Mm -hmm. And when we finally stopped and it was right above us, it, you know, and it shot up into the clouds in the blink of an eye and we both got out of the car and we're looking around and there was no one on the street. No one walking their dog, no one watering their lawn. It was like it was just in some sort of isolated reality where nobody else was around for blocks. And so that was almost even weirder than seeing the UFO. Absolutely. There was no one around us that we could see. And so it was almost like deliberately isolated. So we would have the experience and no one else would. 
I've heard these sorts of things before, Daryl. You probably yeah. have as well. That who whomever and whatever we're dealing with may have the ability to literally bifurcate us from Bashar talks about this one version of Earth and put you in another version of Earth where there is nobody else but you and the craft. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it had to happen that way. They may have just been able to tell there was just nobody around at that, and that's why they stopped at that point, and we were underneath them, is they chose that spot as being an isolated spot where no one else would experience it but us. So mm -hmm. however that works, that's the way it, it worked out. Mm -hmm. Have you had dreams or any other... Um well dreams I, I guess you could say about I've, that experience i've had dream later. encounters with him about four or five times that i know are not normal dreams because that's all that's happening is i'm having a conversation or witnessing him in the dream doing something and it's just a straightforward interaction it's not any crazy dream there's nothing peripheral to it nothing else going on so and they have a different quality to them that i know is an actual communication of sorts so i've had about four or five dreams with him where he's showing me things or or in, you know demonstrating concepts or something along that line um so i have had those kinds of dream encounters with him you've been doing this what are we at 40 years or even north years. of it this year is 40 years 40 oh wow this is a big year for you yeah. four yeah. decades guys yeah. and you're saying only about four, only, they're all important four or five encounters uh, in yeah. the dream state or that's interesting. So these must be very important meetups, I would imagine. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> one of the most important was, is actually uh, depicted, we, we did a CG version of it in the film First Contact, the documentary. And it was, you know, the whole thing of, you know, why don't you just land and show yourself? And in the dream state, <clears throat> in the dream communication, I actually saw him land his ship and I saw him get out and walk toward me. And as soon as he was roughly about maybe 20 feet away in the dream, I completely lost my identity. And I saw my body through his eyes like I became him. And I felt my body back away. And that separation happened again. And he said, see, this is what would happen is our vibration and because of our connection our vibration is so overwhelming so much higher than yours that were we to expose you to that frequency before you're ready before you've elevated your own vibration and strengthened your own identity you would actually lose your identity in our energy field mm -hmm. and so we don't want to take that away from you we want you to learn to raise your frequency and some to something that's closer to ours so that you can stand on your own and and maintain your identity and don't get lost or give your power over to us because mm -hmm. that's not something that we want to have happen so that was a big lesson in that dream in another one it was very kind of surreal because it was like i was sitting in a chair and he was sitting in a chair but in the dream he looked sort of human except his skin was literally as white as paper and so i was talking to him and and i knew there was something odd about this being but when he would talk and i would be listening i would actually get up out of the chair and walk over to him get really close to him and i would touch his skin and i could tell when i got that close to him 
his skin was not human flesh. It was this very sort of strange whitish grayish sort of material, but it, I mean, it was flesh, but it wasn't human flesh. But when I would back up and go back to the chair, he looked like a normal human, except for the fact that his skin was so pale, it looked like paper. So I had that experience to know, okay, you're giving me a disguise. You're sort of projecting an image that I'm more comfortable with because when I get really close and I can tell that you're not a normal human, uh, then it felt very strange and, and mm -hmm. unfamiliar. So he was giving me this, this lesson of, well, sometimes in encounters, um, we have the ability to telepathically sort of project an image that makes you more comfortable, Absolutely. that you're more familiar with, so you don't panic and have to, you know, assimilate the idea of, of an alien-looking life form, you know, into your reality. <clears throat> so that was an interesting lesson as well. All of that, all of what you're saying, I, I can see experiencers and stories that they've shared uh, mm. different but similar in that the term that that's used is screen memory. Daryl, I'm sure right. you've heard that. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about that a lot in terms of yeah. uh, oftentimes people will see clowns or monkeys or, you know, or circus owls animals or, or, or owls. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and I've always asked the question who's doing the screening? It, could it be even part of our own brain? Um, yes, that's that's well, I'm sure a part of our brain is used to do that because they're drawing images from our own understanding, our mm -hmm. own memories to disguise themselves and make the encounter more palatable. Right. Right. Going back to your family, uh, again, you had a couple of family members in the car back in 73. Have you ever questioned an intergenerational link in terms of contact, a legacy of contact in your family, in your lineage? Well, that's very interesting because <clears throat> the friend that was with me was also, uh, she was a very psychic person. She's since passed many years ago, mm -hmm. but she was incredibly psychic. And she had a dream once where there were these little beings around her that were sort of semi-disguised, but she recognized them as ET beings. And in the dream, she was cognizant enough in, in the encounter. The dream was probably some sort of a memory holdover of the encounter. But in the encounter, she was cognizant enough to ask about a friend of ours who is an abductee, classically speaking. And, and they said, yes, yes, she, in fact, is uh, part of this hybridization program. And then my friend asked, well, what about me and what about Daryl? And the answer that she got from these beings were, well, no, we're done with your family lines. They've already been altered to the point they need to be altered. So that was a very interesting and revealing answer. They're done with our family lines. So yeah. I don't think it's generational for us in my family line anymore. They're done with our family lines. Yeah, because these things do happen in family lines. But I guess at a certain point, I guess whatever tinkering is done, is done. Well, this brings me to something that uh, Daryl and I have been trying to figure out how to present this to y'all. This is part of the movie. Again, I want to plug First Contact. All of what you're talking about is is depicted so beautifully. Kudos. This is Thank just you. first rate, by the way. Zia Films, shout out to 
Zia Films. You did a fantastic job. Thank but you. there is a critical moment. There are many of them in, in, in the film, but this one really got me going. And I tried my level best, guys, to get a clip for y'all. But uh, you're going to go see the film in its entirety. I'm trying to figure out how to do this because it's, it's about a four-minute clip. But it, it really brings home or br brought home to me, Daryl, what we may be talking about when we say, uh, the hybridization program and why these abductions over many years uh, have been happening for many people that are asking those big questions that have been taken. Yeah. I'm going to start and I'll figure out intuitively where to stop and have you pick up because you'll know exactly what it is. I'm going to start with a quote. This is Bashar explaining to you what has happened. He says, the story of my people began in a parallel reality on an alternate version of earth the humans on that earth were technologically far in advance of the humans in your civilization. They became focused on technology and intellect. And over generations, they lost connections to their humanity. They lost the ability to feel. They even lost the ability to reproduce. They engineered love out of their lives. They accomplished great technological and intellectual feats at the expense of their emotions, their physical bodies, and their spiritual qualities, which they considered to be inferior. Um, I want to go on, but I wanted, I, I'm just trying to figure out, he, he goes on to explain how not only his race was created, but the reason perhaps right. why these abductions have been happening with our human race. I need you to take right. it from there and encapsulate this for us. Yeah, basically what he's explaining is that the greys are not aliens. They're mutated humans from a parallel version of Earth that destroyed their version of Earth to the point where they had to go underground, they mutated, uh, their eyes got bigger to see in the dark and all this kind of stuff, but they had to mutate to survive. They tried cloning themselves to save their civilization, and that didn't work. Over generations, things started failing. They knew that they were basically in the process of dying out. So what they knew they needed to basically perpetuate their civilization was viable human DNA, which didn't exist anymore in their reality. But they used their advanced technology to tunnel into parallel realities, to shift into parallel worlds like ours, parallel versions of Earth that exist simultaneously with theirs where viable human DNA was still existing. And to use that DNA through the abduction experiences to create hybrid beings from their DNA and our DNA so that their civilization would continue, would survive. So the hybrid civilizations, like Bashar's people, are actually the result of those abduction experiences and the perpetuation of their culture. But sort of as a payback for the use of that DNA, the hybrids now, like Bashar, are sharing information with us in our reality so that we might not necessarily have to go down the same destructive path that the greys went down <clears throat> as humans on their version of Earth because they recognize that we're doing many of the same things that led to the destruction of that parallel version Indeed. of Earth. Mm -hmm. And so they're mm -hmm. trying to help us avert that uh, and not go down the same path. And, and because we are family, they are genetically connected to us, the hybrids. Uh, and therefore, they're attempting to help their family walk a better path, a more positive path. The reason, thank you for that, Daryl. The reason why this hit me so hard is because at the very end, it says, with the vision that your world will choose a more positive outcome than the grays, for we perceive that you have been traveling down a similar path. And I said, oh, boy. Yeah. 
We are. Yeah, we are. see, this, this answer is one of the mysteries that a lot of abductees have reported in their abduction experiences. It's very rare that they get the greys to sort of say anything or admit anything to them. But one of the things that's always been absolutely consistent anytime that the greys do offer up some kind of communication <clears throat> is the phrase, you are us. Every abductee that has had that communication has said that the greys have said, you are us. And this explains what they mean by that. We are them. They are us. They were human at one point. They were from a parallel earth. And so in very real ways, they are us and we are them. And some people may equate this to the idea that they're also from our future, our own future. But since Bashar has explained that time is broken up into kind of different multiple parallel realities, being from the future is still being from a parallel version of reality. And so in very many ways, they really are us and they could represent from one perspective our future if we don't change our path. So in a sense, if you want to look at it just as a linear thing, they're coming back from the future to say, hey, take a different path and this won't happen. Uh, and even if they are from a distinctly different parallel reality, they're still saying basically, hey, this is what happened to us and it's happening to you. Don't go down this path. Is it too late? <laughs> I think, no, not in general. But again, the other thing to remember is, as Bashar says, you never really change the version of Earth you're on. You change yourself and you actually shift to another version of Earth, another parallel version that is now more representative of the change you've made within yourself. So other people may still experience the more destructive version of Earth. You won't necessarily experience that. And the people that want to shift or navigate themselves to more positive versions of Earth will ultimately experience that. But that doesn't mean that the version you used to be on has gone away. Many people may still experience the more destructive version if they're making those kinds of negative choices. Mm -hmm. So it's not about changing the world you're on. It's about changing yourself and being a living example of what that can create for your reality, because your reality is already the product of shifting to parallel versions of Earth many billions of times per second. We think, as Bashar explains, that we have a single linear timeline. And he's saying you don't. What you, what you experience as a single linear timeline is actually the product of shifting through billions of parallel versions of Earth every single second. Every so single second. This is a very kind of heady, multidimensional explanation that sometimes can be a little bit challenging to wrap your mind around. But he's explaining this as if it really is the way physics works. And so there's a lot of opportunity for us to be able to experience the versions of Earth that we would prefer to. And at the same time, allow those people who are making more negative choices to also continue to experience the versions of Earth that they're basically creating for themselves as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are talking more about strange time anomalies. Um, we can talk right. about the, the repeating number phenomenon because I'm, I'm convinced that's at least tangentially connected. But really, really strange um, reality shifts. I'm going to yeah. borrow a, a colleague's a phrase, mm -hmm. a reality shift. So it could be that we are starting to glimpse mm -hmm. <clears throat> these continuously shifting timelines yeah. uh, and picking them up. 
yeah, as we expand our consciousness, our senses become more sensitive to what's going on since we're creating, in a sense, time and space anyway. It's a, it's a product and a projection of our consciousness. So while I'm not saying every single incident like this is the product of that, uh, sometimes we can just, you know, <clears throat> make mistakes and, and, and have psychological issues that can present certain experiences to us. On the other hand, I do think <clears throat> some perceptions of alternate parallel realities that people refer to as the Mandela effect, alternate histories that people remember differently, I think are actually representative of us becoming aware of parallel realities where the history in one reality used to be one way and the history in another reality is another way. And we remember both of them or we can experience different people having different memories of different histories. Because as Bashar says, when you change yourself sufficiently in the present, you actually change your past as well. Because yeah, the yeah. linear explanation for that is, well, if you really have become a completely different person in the present, then linearly speaking, in order to justify that difference, if it's radical enough, you have to have had a completely different past that gave you the reason why you're such a different person in the present. And therefore, you're actually changing your past as you change yourself in the present to make sense out of it from a linear space-time perspective. And so sometimes, because our senses are expanding, different people may in fact hold on to what the past used to be for who they used to be, but also simultaneously become aware of what the new past is for who the new person they are now is and make sense to who they are now. And so some of that, again, not in every case, but some of that may be representative of the expansion of our consciousness and the realization that multiple parallel realities and multiple histories coexist simultaneously with one mm -hmm. another. Mm -hmm. And that now we can experience that bleed through. And we sometimes experience that as different phenomenology anyway, such as things like deja vu, where we may be tapping into parallel realities where that incident may have already happened in that reality. Sure. But it hasn't happened in this one yet. But our brain is tapping into, our energy is tapping into something that's already happened in one reality. And so when we catch up to it, we feel, oh, wait, this feels familiar, like it's already happened. And we know what's going to happen because it's already happened. So, you know, we, we may get those bleed throughs from parallel realities to experience those phenomena as well. I think that's definitely happening. I used to, I had a phase uh, years ago where deja vu was just commonplace and then it kind of waned. You yeah. saw me react, guys, when he said Mandela effect because that was on my little notes wanting to get Bashar's uh, input on what that's all about, but you just explained it beautifully. So thank you for that. Well, Absolutely. Sure. Listen, before we close down, and of course we are going to go to the Patreon after show to continue our conversation, but I want to bring up yet another event. Mr. Anka will be attending. You just keep going and going like the ever ready, ever ready bunny. <laughs> you just got back from Sedona. And you will soon be in Boulder, Colorado for yeah. Gaia's live channeling event. Daryl, this is going to be awesome with yourself, yeah. along with Paul Selig and uh, Sheila Gillette, Riz Mirza, Wendy Kennedy. It's a live event. I will tell you all, I just found out it's sold out. It's sold out. But you know what? You can actually attend uh, via their events plus live stream. So I just got a special link from our uh, friends over at Gaia that I'll, I'll make sure to leave below. You want to, you definitely want to. <laughs> 
peek in on this one. Tell, tell us what you're going to be what you're going to be doing there, Daryl, specifically. Um, I will be channeling Bashar there, and Bashar is basically uh, going to be talking about, well, the title of, of his talk is All Roads Lead Home. And basically, he's going to be talking about the spirit world and our connection to it and our experience of it. That's going to be really fabulous, the spirit world. Something else one day when we have you back, God willing, I'd like to go into is his thoughts on the afterlife. Mm-hmm. We're losing so many people. We've always lost lots of people, but it seems like they're leaving in waves these days and in and, and tragic ways. And uh, I would love to, to get into that conversation with you about his philosophy on sure. what that's all about. So sure. we'll yeah, leave that as a... That extensively, yeah. Yeah. Hey, maybe we can touch on it just a tad over on the after show. How about that? Sure. And use it as a cliffhanger. So, Daryl, thank you. Anything else you would like to add in closing before we go next door? Uh, just that it's, according to Bashar, it's so important for people to really be themselves. And in following your passion, that's really what you get to do. You get to be yourself. You get to be in alignment with your true core vibration. And it makes all the difference in your world. So getting familiar with his formula, his instruction manual for how to do this in a pragmatic and practical way really has helped me and hundreds of other people in their lives live a life that is a lot uh, more joyful, a lot more effortless, and a lot more true to who they really are. So I would always suggest and highly recommend that people uh, do get themselves familiar with why it's important to follow your passion and be your true self in life. Thank you for that. You're a walking testament for that. You've been in that passion for a long time. God bless you. And thank you for all you're doing for all of us. Thank you you for having this opportunity to share these ideas with people. So I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, my buddy. Can't wait to see you soon, too. It'll be fun. (laughs) All right. Until next time, journeyers. Daryl, don't hang up. We're going next door. But let me sign off for now. Please join us over there if you feel so inclined. If not, we will see you next time on Higher Journeys. Take care.